In this episode of 92i Talks, Rose McGowan, the voice that gave rise to a watershed moment in Hollywood and beyond, talks with journalist Ronan Farrow about the experiences captured in her new book, Brave. The conversation was recorded on February 1st, 2018, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Thanks for doing this, Rose. Thank you for doing this, Ronan. And thank you, everybody, for coming. Yes. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for waiting. We're so worth it. <laughs> you have had quite a year and quite a life, Rose McGowan. I, you know... It's an understatement. And a, a two, Brutus. <laughs> there are some commonalities. Uh, you know, one thing I think we both have in common is we don't do small talk. Uh, there's a certain level of intensity. You might have noticed from our respective bodies of work. <laughs> How are you, Rose? And you know me well enough to know that I don't mean that casually. Correct. I mean, on a deep level. How are you? I, I like and thank you for asking that. Uh, I do get a lot of, how are you feeling? And I think uh, they're, they're really, you know, English is my third language. Uh, Italian and then? Cults in Italian. And how I grew up was, uh, you know, we started training, they started training people for the end of days at 18 months. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of time to develop. Um, I, feel, I, I feel in color and I get, uh, or prickles in my, someone said, how are you feeling? I said, my arms are on fire and they're prickling. I don't know what that means exactly, but it's, it's because I didn't, I don't think I had the normal, I don't know if people have the grace to learn what emotions are, feelings, or this thing hurt me and this is what happened because of it. But I don't really have that language. So, the, you know, like most things, you liken it to the movies. It's like um, right now, it's a cross between 2001 A Space Odyssey. That was when Ronan and like his beauty and his uh, mind and his tenacity and his grit helped destroy very much, like, well, you know. And uh, what that was was like 2001 A Space Odyssey when they get to the Jupiter section, or, and, or Kyrdalea, and all of a sudden there's all these graphics and it's nobody's been there. Just nobody's been there. But then we cut to Superman 2. <laughs> <laughs> From, I think, the 80s, or late 80s. And there's these three, uh, bad characters who, of course, dress in all black, because that's how it goes, and they, they land like, with a thump on the earth. And that's what I feel like with a book coming out. It's like I, I came through the atmosphere, and now I'm just like Pum. And now you're Terrence Stamp in 80s leather. No, I'm the woman. I don't know her name, but she was, she's actually my fashion icon. It's a good look. Like, from when I was 12. <laughs> but it hasn't all been easy since this broke, either. You, I remember, were telling me over the holidays, you were texting me saying, you know, I, I walked out of a family dinner, and I'm upset, and I'm dragging my luggage behind me through the street. Tell me about adjusting to this new reality. Yeah, Christmas night, or dinner-ish, found me uh, dragging my sad, lonely suitcase down a sad, lonely street in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was like, all right, this is the glamour. And uh, Because was, your family didn't want to mother, address this, right? No, and nobody addressed it. I was there for two days, and it, it really did feel, I don't know what it's like to come home from a war, a, like on paper, but I can tell you it's a war. 
uh, and nobody addressed it. It was just, I was there for two days, and it, nobody said, how are you? Are you okay? This must be hard. Wow, are you tired? Because it is, you know, but I, I cry a couple of times a day because I have to, because there's not a lot of time to process, you know, and writing this book, I went through, as you know, it's, if you want to keep sanity, I can't recommend ever writing a book. I now understand all these things about writers that I didn't previously quite get. I also now understand why people don't launch three massive enterprises on one day with a giant social enterprise going on behind. Yes, uh, admittedly, most writers don't have, uh, you know, Mossad agents uh, chasing them, uh, former ones anyway, trying to get portions of your manuscript. Successfully. Well, it certainly Pardon. appears that at the very least, you know, we were able to report in The New Yorker that transcripts describing the manuscript in detail were delivered back to your alleged attacker. What was it like after so many years of being disbelieved, waking up, seeing things like that in print, having the conversation change in a way where people actually accepted what you had been saying for so long? Well, I think a lot still fight it, Ronan, you see, because people don't like, I, I don't understand this. If someone's really just trying to stop either a pedophile or a rapist, that seems like, you know, you wouldn't be able to assort uh, the world's most talented lawyers like David Boyce and Charles Harder. You know, you would think they'd want to steer clear of something as ugly as that, but no. In fact, they lean in. And in fact, people go up against me. You know, Variety, Peter Bart was paid off for years. I mean, we all know these things, right? Allegedly, let me just say that, right? We have to keep saying that. He was consensually paid off. There, there's been a lot of denials of non-consensual behavior. So, I, I can't tell you what that feels like. It feels violent. It feels degrading. It's I, the denials I, feel violent to you. I, 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 I don't know what it's like to get to face down my attacker in court, but I do know that they lie. They lie, and I just, one thing, my overwhelming thing, you know, my whole life, really, just being born into a situation where people are constantly saying, this isn't what you're saying, and then a life of that, which we, women, really get in general, right, and, and uh, people of color, and it's so much, um, and, and men, you know, they get defined by what they're supposed to be rather than to get to be what they are. It's very similar, you know, we get defined by what we're supposed to be and not what we are. And I just think, but I see who you're supposed to be. I'd rather talk to that person. And people, for some reason, it's, it's, it, it mystifies me that if someone's only sole motivation is to make the world better, you know, I have like people coming at me, you're profiting off the Me Too movement. First of all, you, you feel you are telling a story. I worked at this for three years. I've worked for 20 years to bring this man down. And, and I will say, Strategically. Rose was telling this story the to reporters day. much earlier than this was public. 
Um, so that is certainly the case, and a lot of this flows from those conversations. There were a lot of brave people who came forward, but you did early on um, do work that was instrumental in setting this in motion. So you know, for those who have come forward, anyone in the audience who this resonated with and who has stepped out of the shadows with a story about sexual harassment or assault, um, you know, she did that in a climate where it was very, very difficult, as any of you who have those experiences understand, to do that. You did that alone, as far as I could tell. Yes. I decided to embark on a social reengineering project because why not? I was bored. I thought people were quite stupid and maybe they could be better. <laughs> so I embarked on Rose Army. I trademarked Rose Army three years ago. Uh, and I embarked and I started shooting for the documentary that I knew was going to be on E. Now, I also got the Kardashian producers. Why? Because of Marshall McLuhan. I really believe the medium is the message. And I really believe in being egalitarian and smashing the 99 and the 1%. So I knew if I did anything, if I talked about Brave or any of this on HBO or Netflix for people with extra money, it's not talking to, say, like, E actually is the farthest reach. I knew my book was going to come out. I knew my voice was going to be louder. Yeah. These women, Asia Argento, Annabella Sciorra, I mean, there's all these women over a hundred something now by our count. Mm -hmm. uh, they, and there's many, many more. Um, I didn't want to stomp on their voice. They haven't been heard. I would, you know, it's like- You did an extraordinary thing in lying in wait in that way and deciding exactly when and how. It's me, it's my story. I got everything stolen. I wanted to have something that was this, but, but really I wanted them yeah. to be, I, I didn't, I would overshadow them. It would be like, honestly, if Jennifer Lawrence walked across the stage right now, everyone would start looking at that and photographing that. I understand what they do. Like, you know, when you go down a red carpet, you can't go down the same time as someone else because if they're more famous than you, they'll get more coverage. So even when we look at that initial body of reporting, I really do feel you have to owe Rose a significant debt of gratitude and credit for creating that story because many of the women you just mentioned went on the record at a time when you were, for all those months, with the NBC reporting, on the record. And they knew that someone had come first. And then many of them were talking to you in the months after. That's why I let it go for so long. Yeah. We're just talking about this now for the first time, working it out together. That was, um, it was kind of like doing weird undercover work or something. What do you mean by that? With, with reporters right who are doing word. undercover work. It's not the right word. Playing two news organizations that are very powerful off each other's, uh, you know, dicey business at best. And while writing a book that is, it was intense. It's very, it's intense, but uplifting and beautiful and about bravery. And what I knew to do I knew when I was about a year out from the book, most likely being you know, finished, I knew that I had to puncture. I had to get people to look askance the propaganda machine at what fills their brain. Um, and there's so many, we know, right? We know what we're seeing. But a lot of times we're just like chilled out. But, but the thing is, I know the people behind those messages that you get. Um, as do you, a lot of them. Uh, but I, in a, someone asked me if you were in, uh, Oz, who would you be? In who would the, you be, Rose? The curtain. I would be the curtain. You're not the man behind the curtain. You are the curtain. I am the curtain. The curtain's very pretty. 
The curtain gets used, kicked aside. Nobody really notices the curtain. They're appreciative that it's there, but they just pull it aside when it's done. The fabric gets frayed, ripped, but it absorbs everything from both sides. From this side, presentationally, it looks so great to you, right? This is the curtain that you see from the back side. You see everything too, but nobody notices the curtain. The curtain's taking notes. Did you have, talking about that journey of playing, as you say, you know, make, making news organizations your pawn to get this story out in the right way? So, well, because so many, sorry, so many yeah. people try to break it. David Carr of the New York Times, yes. the most excellent. And editor. we talked, I did an article about the intimidation a lot of those reporters faced. Yeah. Well, I also wouldn't talk to him. I said, it's not time. Public, it wasn't just, you know, I talk to anybody, though. That's the thing. People would come and sit next to me at a dinner, and I'd be like, oh, good. And, and I would throw it out there because I knew someday if I threw stones, somebody was going to help somebody, and that somebody was you. Thank you, Rose. Well, applaud for the women who came forward because the, the way it ended up playing was, look, there was a before and after in each of these stories, and it is about people going on the record, which can be, as you know, the most difficult decision of a lifetime. It's a decision for many women to be defined by the thing they least want to be defined it's by. It's in your obituary for all time. Right, so you can imagine staring that down, and in the case of a powerful alleged attacker like this, you are dealing with the potential for massive repercussions for your life. Um, the kind of, uh, you know, infiltration into your life that, that you saw. But you see, I'd already had that with him because I never signed an NDA, mm -hmm. but I was told that I had. And woman after woman talked about the, not just the legal ramifications, even for people like Rose who hadn't signed an NDA, the career ramifications, well, my the fears. Like, yeah, but it was, you know, that's one of the And we now have learned that that's true, that there were women that were blacklisted. Filmmakers have described that. Well, yes. I don't, see, my thing is, like, I don't really care if people verify my story. It's true. I know it. I lived it. Like, I was there. Mm -hmm. um, like, when people ask, what's it like to be believed? I'm like, I don't really care. Don't believe me. You don't have to. But you do have to think. But Just from my standpoint, of course. From your standpoint, I don't know. I had to live. I had to survive in a way that had to protect me. I lived between worlds. I existed not in yours and not in theirs, and not in America and not in Europe and not anywhere. Like, there was no soft spot. There's no, you know, Christmas, I was like, there's no soft place to land someday. But I do have a place that I created in my mind, Planet Nine. And I wrote about this place, Planet Nine, when I was 11 years old. And I used to, when I came to American schools, I was so, I was very stressed and uh, it was pretty traumatic. And so I would imagine this orb coming out of the ceiling at school and it would protect me and it would encircle me. And lo and behold, they discovered Planet Nine. Poor Pluto. And uh, rest in peace. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, for me, it's not that I'm against, it's just that I had to construct a life where people believing or not believing me didn't matter mm. because otherwise I would have lost my mind. And that was the one thing I had and that I prize above all else. And you certainly, you know, I spent a year listening to a lot of powerful men call these women who were relating the worst experiences of a lifetime. Crazy. Call them uh, unstable, call them unreliable narrators, um, and a lot worse things that I won't repeat on this stage. Um, 
you know, that was something that was lobbed at uh, your story countless times. I sat in rooms and defended the fact that <laughs> that on-the-record testimony from you mattered. And what you... To people like NBC. To, to numerous people. And, you know, what I will say is in an environment like that where people are so reluctant to believe, and particularly to believe women, you were smart in that at least for those six months where we had you on the record, it was enough time that multiple women were always on the record in that story. And unfortunately, uh, while we now live in an environment where a heavily corroborated story from a single individual woman um, can run, if it has the right news value, that's always a tough decision, but it can. Back then, we needed that. We needed multiple women, um, and we always met that threshold. And you know that is why the story survived through those months. It's why it ended up at the New Yorker eventually. Um, and you know the trials and travails of and writing this through that writing this book, which and do, and producing and and doing an album that's the other side of the book, while and then filming for a documentary that nobody knew. When I told the head of E, and I said, "This is it was always going to be you," he was like. You were playing three-dimensional chess, and you had yes. all these projects. But I guess, you know, because you raised it, that, that complicated saga of you being on the record that long, and then falling out of the story, then coming back into the story, it raises an interesting larger thematic question for me, which is there are people who react to the periods of silence, the years and years of silence before, the strategic periods of bowing out of stories and coming back in, and, and have said publicly, well, why not earlier? Why, why didn't you share the story? Do you have feelings of guilt about not sharing the story earlier? Because there were other people that, that say that, I think, are also stupid. <laughs> and I'm bored of that. Say more. I don't really care anymore. I mean, I, you know, the thing is... Let, let like, me reframe their sorry, question okay, in, reframe. I think, in, a better, in a better light. Please. This is the, the kernel of a fair point, I think, is in that. Okay. In the periods of silence, there were other women who claimed that they were attacked. Do you ever feel, at any time, on any day, conflicted about the fact that you hadn't spoken? Because I've talked oh, to women who said, I wish I was Oh, I don't know. It was the first day that I did, and the, the head manager at my agency said, God damn it, I just had an expose about him killed at the LA Times. He owes it to me not to do this. This is 1997. I tried. I tr who was going to believe me, Ronan? Who? The society? You? No. Come on. The only perfect rape victim is a dead rape victim, and that is a fact, and we all know it. Oh, we're so sad for her, she's dead, oh. But other than that, and I love it when, like, you took a payout. I didn't take a payout, I demanded it. It was my only way of saying, F you, I don't want this, I don't like this, and I tried to buy a billboard. Gannett Outdoors did not go for Harvey Weinstein as a rapist on Sunset Boulevard, I'm truly shocked. People are... <laughs> Tremendously quick to judge, mm -hmm. uh, and I think. But I don't come from their world, so I don't care. There's they're, a lack of understanding I mean, about the complexities of coming forward with this issue now, but also, especially and even more so, 20 years ago. The lack of nuance in people's minds is staggering, <laughs> and that's not my Seems fault. Seems like an uncontroversial statement. It's not my fault. It's really. It's like. Don't make your khaki pleated pants brain my problem. <laughs> so I get a lot of questions that are exactly the same. And they're like, but people are saying this. I'm like, people also voted for Trump, not my issue. 
You like, know, I, get, I get like, and I'm like, yes, but it's, it's a collective. And what I'm trying to hit is a structure. I'm hitting it from above because I don't know. I didn't integrate with you all. I didn't sit in an office. I don't know what, I mean, for a little bit when I lied when I was 15 and worked uh, as a PR agent for Bristol Myers Squibb during a breast implant scandal. I lied and said I was a graduate of USC Corporate School of Communications. And I had to take the bus there because I wasn't old enough to get a driver's license. And I would consult magazines as to what I should wear, what ladies wore. Pantyhose, that's what they wore. You do a lot of talking about the societal pressures about what to wear and how to have your hair in this book break. Yes, because we all know it. And something I really noticed that was a side effect and not something I didn't do, if I do this, this will happen. It was, in one way, it was like, if I do this, I'm definitely cutting literally the cord to that world. Where I was told, you know, when I first started, that I, I say it in the book, that, uh, am I allowed to curse here? Curse away. Uh, well, you know, as is my want. And uh, it, it was like, uh, by a female agent, because female misogyny is so deep, oh my God, do a lot of them operate against their best interests. It's so weird. But this woman agent said to me, and it was like me, you know, I had been on my own since really 13. And I, I kind of am like Nell in a way, but I, I kind of speak my own language. You know, the woman that was in the woods. Mine was just with dresses and high heels, and that's what you saw. I lived a really big life off the screen, but I had to live it privately and unhiding. But it affected everything. And the thing is, is that thought for a sec because I got sad. That's allowed. Thank you. There is a lot it's in a this lot. book. And one of the things that I oh, struck hair. me most. Oh, do you want to do close up the point on the hair? I'll close the point on hair. She's very eloquent about the hair in the book. I think I'm eloquent quite a lot. You are eloquent in the book a lot. Um, it was, uh, you have to have long hair so the men in Hollywood want to fuck you. If they don't want to fuck you, they're not going to hire you. And then I was like, oh, that was like me opening the magazine saying, professional ladies wear nylons. Oh, like, how was I, I didn't know. I grew up, you know, out of time in a way. Uh, my father, our pictures are from a brownie camera. That's from the 50s. And you were also in the countryside in Italy in a cult. Behind walls, really. And, and that is, is the genesis of something that runs all the way through your life story. And we've been talking about this for a year now. In each of our conversations, it comes up. You have been the subject of abuse after abuse, yeah. very often from men, from a very early age. You tell the story in the and book. And a of, lot of women. They don't get a Well, I want to get to that, too. But this theme of men, and you, and you talk, you openly embrace the idea that this is a chain of events that are connected in your life. Going back to you talk about it being four and a, a member of the cult coming up to you and assaulting you. Talk about that. I drew it afterwards, actually. I drew, uh, um, I was walking down a hallway, and I, and I always remember, you know, some people, they, I guess they have two kinds of memory, right, that excel at, you either excel at short or long term. I excel more at long term, so I'll remember this evening in five years. It's really nice to see you. Uh, <laughs> that story in there started a quest for, to, I, I, was walking down this hallway, and so to give a little background, there was a duke, uh, the Duke of Zwagli, and he was in the cult. 
the children of God. And his sister, Ariana, Rosa Ariana, whom I am named for, uh, because it's Italy, she didn't get control of the house. The brother did. So we're in this palazzo, this Italian, this grand, you know, with a lot of incredibly beautiful in Tuscany, right? Sounds lovely. Uh, but it was a place that was multinational, multicultural, not that I knew what that meant, but there was always danger. And every room I looked in, I would try to find what could protect me and what I could kill somebody with if I needed to. And so when I was walking down that hall, am I echoing? Do you guys hear that? You can understand her, right? But am I echoing a little? Oh, I hear it. I didn't think so. It's a little echoey. Yeah, there's it, something it, odd. I think it's because I'm wearing two microphones. No, I think it's because I'm wearing two microphones. But I don't know which one it is. Hold, please. So I was walking down a hallway, this stone hallway, and I remember, because I always loved light, I remember these shafts, and I was just staring, watching, the, I always loved watching dust dance. And this door opens, and the man says, after he picks me up, you know, like most things, it happens quick and slow. And he took a razor blade and cut a wart that I had on my thumb off and then just set me back down, shut the door, and I was there with blood coursing down. And it... You're four at the time. Yes. But I remember it, and I drew it. I remember, I learned how to read when I was two. Uh, read, read. Like, they were, strangely enough, quite... Uh, Quite. Is that better? I think it is. I actually. think it is better, yeah. Yeah. Great. Let's go with that. Sorry. Uh, so, you know, it was. I don't. But the reason I, I ask about that incident, and it struck me, I mean, first of all, knowing you in the present day, you, you talked about entering rooms and searching for weapons, and that being an instinct that I you still have. Do. You still do. Why and, you? and I know, you know, even when you talk about the saga of how you engineered your relationships with reporters, you then, months later, after you know, there were these months on the record, there was this period where you were, really went to 11 and said, you know, I'll send lawyers after you, and then you were, you were so back sorry. in. No, well, what was striking to me is you then, you, when you went back on the record, you, uh, you know, came to me and said, I'm sorry, I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know what was real. And I was immensely moved by that, because even though it had made my life hell for a little while, no, nothing on the order of the hell you were going through, of course. It, it I thought, was revealing about who you are, um, that there is some desire to open up and connect, but also you have this long, long history of being wronged. Yeah. How do you contend with that? Well, you've used it in the last year and more than that I to help others. It. I contend with it to push me through the atmosphere. I contend with it because it's wrong, and it's wrong to so many of us. I contend with it because I hear women's voices everywhere I go. I contend with it because I've always heard the underdog. I believe you have too. I hear their voices. and. I worked so hard to get to a place, you guys, where I could speak. I have a lot of people who will say, you're so lucky you have a platform. <laughs> but I always knew this was going to be my life. 
you see. I knew this was going to happen. I knew the timeline. The part that scares me is that I don't. There's always a chunk that I didn't see. I saw everything. I knew at 19 I was going to collapse and then have to rebuild and reformulate. I knew, I knew the trajectory of like, this is the time this is going to happen. This is the time this is, this is the time you're going to get raped. You told me that even long before the Harvey Weinstein incident um, that you recounted to me, there was a statutory rape by a prominent man in Hollywood. Yes, I, and I didn't process that actually until, um, I'll get to him. Is that a story you're ready to tell? Right now? <laughs> or in general? In general, sure. Right now at this moment, I've had a big day. <laughs> I've only had a banana. I've been busy. I'm sorry. Uh, it, you know, it would make this uh, night very spectacular, wouldn't it? Um, but let me tell you, he worked for my rapist and won Oscars. And let me tell you, this man picked me up when I was 15 years old. And I looked like, I don't know how those people at Bristol Myers squibbed when I was 15, when I lied and said I was a junior account executive. But I always managed to finagle my way things. And, you know, so this man, he, uh, he's very famous in And the she NPR did, you did world. tell me the name of this person, which yes, obviously I, I would not say we'll without your being we'll ready for that. It's, it's a timing thing, you know, it goes cease and desist. Rose speaks when she's ready. I do. And that's the important thing. For all of us, you know? And I think, you know, when he, he took me home after he met me and he showed me a soft porn movie he'd made for Showtime under a different name, of course. That's when I learned what Nam Myoho Renge Kyo was because it was involved with his soft porn. And then he had sex with me. And then he left me next to Cafe Tropical in Silver Lake standing on a street corner. You're 15. Mm -hmm. But I'd always found him attractive. Well, not always that day. I, in my mind, playing it back, I'd always felt like I had been attracted to him. So I'd always filed it away under a sexual experience, even though I had not, you know, other than somebody else at a clothing store, had, uh, I didn't, like, I thought my period was going to last an hour when I got my period. And I was reading Poe at four. Nobody, it was a very, I don't know what normal trajectory is. I don't know if you do either. I do not. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is substantially strange to... Um, Let's be clear about that. Do not. Yeah. I swear we're... Yeah. But you, you just said something, I think, important there, which is, look, you're describing a powerful guy in Hollywood with a 15-year-old girl. That's quite a stark moral question. But you did say... Um, you know, this was something I reassessed years later, that at the time I didn't think of it as an assault. Um, not in this case, where it's Two weeks lines. after your story came out is when I had processed it, but I didn't really process it in terms of, like, I, I, I didn't put it on me. I removed myself from the situation. I was like, that creep did this to a 15-year-old. That's kind of, you know, I spoke a bit with you. But it was not till about two weeks after the, you know, your story broke, or our story, uh, Everyone, all the, you know, our world story. Uh, that I start, I was in bed, and you know, all the stuff. There's so much. The stress level's been intense, uh, and I started crying. I thought, Oh my God. I think that's molestation. Is it? 
sexual. I, I don't know what to put it in because you know what men get. You were an underage person at the time. Yeah. You know, in that case, it is a very bright line situation where a crime was committed. In other cases, that kind of reassessment years later of incidents that maybe both parties found acceptable at the time is happening around the country. You know, I think women have woken up with that same moment and, and many men too. Yes, you um, can go back, you trace your, the breadcrumbs of your life and you're like, Now, Now that is what we just described a phenomenon that is going to be very frightening and troubling to many people. Should yes. people be worried about that kind of reassessment? Is there the pitfall of uh, innocent situations being turned into something else in retrospect? Uh, I, uh, I've been pulled over for speeding a couple times. But I'll tell you what, I've sped a lot more than I've been pulled over. So you think so that, no, the, I do not. that the benefits of what's happening right now outweigh the costs? That's that these 2%, are fringe cases. It's two percent. It's two percent of all reported cases are false. Two percent. <laughs> we have audience questions. Here. Ah, hello. Two uh, percent. You know, and that's very few of the rape cases that even get brought. And and I mean, it's it's such a minute, infinitesimally small amount because often you don't know even what happened to you. Obviously. And, and when you see, you know. Look, it was very clear, because you were on the record from square one saying this was a rape, and you actually even, we had a conversation where I said, look, I think we're going to be able to use the term misconduct, but I'm getting a lot of pushback from a lot of lawyers, and you said, show the lawyers this footage, this is a I, rape. I spoke into the camera. Yes. Um, this is a rape, use the word. Um, and you were emotional, and um, I wish I could have gotten more people to watch that footage. But They wouldn't watch it the lawyers at NBC. Transcripts were reviewed, and you know, indeed it was hard to use the term rape. But you know, there are other You know stories. why that makes me mad? Not just that they didn't watch it, the etymology of the word rape. The origin of sexual, who gets to name what happens to my body, men? Who gets to vote on how much time uh, is punishable for what's happened to my body, men? Who gets to invent the, all the words that go along with this that are not nuanced and misconduct, come on. That sounds like a sports conduct I'm becoming or something. It's, it's so trivial, right? Well, I will say that, that once this story was at The New Yorker, we had a conversation about this. There's a wonderful woman editor who worked on that, all of the Weinstein pieces, but led that What was her piece, name? Deirdre Foley Mendelssohn. I would love to meet Deirdre Foley Mendelssohn someday. You should, uh, anyone Thank should her. be lucky enough to meet Deirdre Foley Mendelssohn, and what a name. Um, I mean, Deirdre Foley Menderson, Menderson? <laughs> Henderson, I'm staying, that's my next uh, hotel name, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Deirdre. <laughs> poor, poor Deirdre, there's going to be some very uh, uh, grave confusions that happen, I'm sure, as a result of this. But, you know, we all depend on good editors, but more than that, in this particular story, we had a conversation, and she was one of the people in the room who advocated for, you have to use the term rape when it is, in fact, a rape, and that it is deceptive and disingenuous with your readers to use a term like misconduct if, in fact, this is, by any legal definition, a rape. And I hope that one of the things to come of this moment and this conversation and your candor about what you went through is people understanding that that is a term that's important to use and that the definition of it is broader than maybe some people traditionally understood. Um, hence the nuance. I mean, I think if people can get to the fact that, you know, we now get believed. There's a, believe me, a lot of pushback on that still. 
But the thing is, is, rape is an ugly word, isn't it? Isn't it ugly? It's hard. It's hard. But that's why it's but important you know what? to use when it's accurate. Exactly. <laughs> and it's important to be like, oh, you know what? We actually have gangrene on our legs right now. Oh, instead of pulling our pants legs down and going like this, let's pull it up. Yeah, gangrene's really ugly, actually, I'm pretty sure. And it might rot, and it might smell a little bit. But you know what? If I take the right antibiotic, excise the wound, heal it, treat it, look at it, work it out, then I can pull my pants legs down and be proud and walk strong and tall. So that's what I did, and that's what we can all do, and that's what's magical about the human spirit. But we have to make allowance for the fact that there are gray areas, and the fact that, you know, I. I but what's great, Ronan, I have a, you know, the, one, the, the man who mixed my album, Michael Patterson, he sat down with me, apropos of nothing, he just said, you know, my friends and I were talking, four men and I, last night, and we were all very honest about when we had pushed it to, we started talking about it, and we're like, yeah, I, I, I kind of bullied my way into this girl's pants. Or I bully, because that's what it is. What's the song, Baby It's Cold Outside? Break that down. It's a gross song. Baby, it's rape outside. But, but that's actually <laughs> why I mentioned this distinction. The Weinstein story was about allegations of multiple rape. Um, that first New Yorker story was about that. There have been other stories since that have been about the gray areas that you describe. I mean, when you read, for instance, you know, that story about Aziz Ansari, how do you feel about that? Don't, you know, this one I'm going to take a pass on because actually I, respect that. I somehow missed it. Mm. I was in Germany, and not that they don't have papers over there, but they aren't German, and I wasn't going online. And There was a, there was a saw, major there was controversy, a major I'm sure you saw, about, you know, a story about what appeared to be, um, you know, for some people, uh, an instance of... Uh, you know, forced sexual activity, and in the eyes of many other who read that story, it was, you know, an uncomfortable date. And that the audience was split on that, and there was a lot of find criticism. It's Sorry, it's easier to say, it's easier to, you know, the thing is, you guys see these people on your TV, you become friends with them, you like them, they're affable. They couldn't do this, right? Bill Cosby, he's America's dad. No, he's not, he's America's number one rapist. Get it right. And the thing is, you have to be willing to make your heroes better. I'm not saying the heroes should necessarily fall, but they have to be better. The role of hero worship in this entire phenomenon and this conversation it's is ridiculous. fascinating. It's because if you look at the reaction to those Cosby stories, many of those women were viciously smeared. Ugh. And the, it, it was not that many years ago, but I remember reporting on this, and the tenor was much more... But hey, what about his art? And look at what he contributed to comedy and to race in, a, in the I conversation. I bet you've heard those race. arguments a lot too, haven't you, in your life? I may be familiar with some of those arguments. <laughs> They're so dull, aren't they? Uh, you know, look, I would say if there is a credible allegation of sexual assault, uh, you know, the conversation about art can continue, but it is separate and it should not preclude the discussion of a rape allegation. Yeah. That tends to be my view. No. If someone gives a restaurant a, a, a bad Yelp review or has a C on its health grade, do you go in there? Even if the food looks pretty. I don't want that food in my mind. I don't want that food in my body. No thanks, you don't get a say. Because for every one of these guys that's fallen, 
I know so many more. I could have, I could have probably destroyed the known universe in that ecosystem, okay? But I don't care because they're all ideas, they're constructs. Each one is literally just a corporation to me. And you're not concerned, you know, and I'm not just talking about false allegations, which you correctly said are this tiny, minute percentage. Because, yeah, it's so fun to go through. Uh -huh. Right. I mean, I, I think one thing that you come out of reporting stories like this with a very clear sense of is there is nothing in it for these women. You know, Rose did not stand to profit off of this. Um, the, certainly to the extent that she's now got a book going and everything, no, it's nothing I've... compared to the hell that was inflicted upon you. But you know, that's something that drives me insane right there, and I'll stop you at that point. Uh, profiting, you're right. I should never make any money ever again off of my art or my talent. You are completely correct. I was violated, I had my career stolen, I had millions of dollars in awards and who knows what else, not that I want those, taken from me smeared viciously worldwide, worldwide by paid off journalists in your profession. Your esteemed profession. Who are paid to slander and smear me. It affected every area of my life. Every single person I met, my family treated me like I was that person. Uh, men treated me like they owned me. Women hated me, thanks a lot. But you're right, I shouldn't profit off any work that I do. But all of you can, go for it. Am I angry? God damn right I am. I'm gonna read the last line of this book too so you guys can actually know what it's about. Because what it is about is not that man or men in general, it's about constructs. Every person I mention in here is an idea an idea that we all kind of know and can relate to. So the bigger part of the book to me, the more important part of the book, is the framework that I put around that, the, the what if, the connecting certain dots that I don't think most people know, because you know what, I speak cult, and you guys don't, but a lot of you are in it, in ways that you're not aware of, but I see it, and I would like to help you unwire that. Not that you're all like, it's like a Svengali going like, that's not what I mean, it's, deeper than that, it's a lot more nuanced, it's subtle. So if the carpet that makes up your being has these threads in it that need to be pulled out that didn't get put in there by you, what if you are in fact this organic, beautiful piece of silk? Silk wool, what a great carpet. Oh man, there's polyester all over the place. What's this artificial crap doing in here? Pull it out, that's read, this book. Read that last quote. I will. <laughs> Be better, think different, I know you can. I know you can change the world, starting with yours, just by being brave. And I say earlier, brave doesn't mean you're not scared. I was always scared. I'm still scared. What but are I you do scared anyway. of now, Rose? Assassination. You really think that you could be killed? Someone laughed, but I know you're not joking. Because you Why told me you funny? thought you were going to be killed. Well, I don't think they're laughing insensitively. I think people mostly no, think that's you, ridiculous. You, yeah, but you, I don't care what you think. But I'll tell you. When I we, know my life, and I know my reality, and I know that people like me get killed. And this is not new. When we had our very first interview, you said, He's been after me for careful, a lot longer. You could get killed, is what you told me. Yeah, and you could. 
And I could. There was a plant last night. I had my first book signing, or uh, reading. Something I'd only seen in movies, by the way. And there was definitely a paid plant that got up and started screaming at me and yelling at me. What makes you think that that was a paid plant? Because I saw I have people that were watching the exchange and, and how it all uh, handed off and, and somebody at the book place. And you don't think, you know, there are people who will hear that and say, this was an angry member of the public. I don't care what people say. Please get that straight. I've learned to believe that with Rose. I really don't, because I can't, because it would kill me. And I had to fight so hard to stay hopeful. Every person I meet, I hope for the best. I'm not jaded, actually. That's the ultimate joke of it all, right? I'm not. I kept myself so sequestered so I could stay open to wonder and color and light and beauty and magic and art. I did that to protect myself. And, and, and yet, Rose, going back to what we talked about earlier, this long history of abuse after abuse, that does change a person. Asia Argento, an extraordinarily brave woman um, who also told one of the most difficult stories I've ever heard in all its complexity um, for one of those New Yorker stories, was in your documentary. And she said this. She said, I was open to more hurt. I was prey. I was the perfect prey. I was already hurt. They recognized those that were hurt, and that's how they managed to come in, a small crack that they recognized. All of us had some wound that they could recognize. Do you feel in some way that you were predisposed, that predators saw something in you along the way? There's something people don't talk about in all of this is beauty. It gets forgotten, but we were beautiful. We were like ethereal, extraordinary beauties. And we got hunted. Every room were targets, these creeps, these creepy men everywhere all over the world. Like, that's the one I'm going for. And if you then couple that with consistent and extreme abuse, and then you couple that with just being a woman and a girl in the world, yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, it's like the ibex that's you know straggling from the herd because the herd's like get lost. We don't want you ibex, and then that lion's like, oh hey, I mean it's it's not that dissimilar. It's a hunt, you know. And the thing is, they they've done tests of like, you know, on sociopathy and, and sociopathy in Hollywood, and it's astronomical. But I would say why not because the flood of beautiful girls and boys going in there year after year, year after year, fresh meat, fresh meat, fresh meat, damaged. Because I'll tell you, you know, I was beautiful. And uh, I didn't understand what that was or relate to it because for most of my childhood, I don't recall mirrors until I did see one. I was like, what are you? And then all of a sudden I grew breasts and the world got so loud, like terrifying terrifying, everywhere, like, and I still flinch at sound, you know, and light, and, uh, but I was supposed to just smile and be happy that someone was paying me attention. What? Get lost, society. And when I say get lost, I don't mean individually, I mean like the collective guy in the car honking the horn, because what that does, though, is reduce you. So when I was 12, I started pretending like I was the horses in Central Park. And I put those things, so I, any place I'd walk into, but you know what that did? That stole a lot of my vision. 
because of what somebody else wants, because they've seen Adam Sandler movies where he gets to have a Salma Hayek or a Kate Beckinsale or, or somebody because, you know, he's a slob and has no discernible you, assets. You really, uh, you've had it in for Adam Sandler. For no, he's a construct. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Come on. I don't care if you occasionally do movies where you're a good actor. All... Piss off. I'm over it. Because you told that type. story about getting sides for a role, and it was like for I got a know. script, and it said the most ridiculous thing. And the thing is, is, I was still making my way out of the cult at this point. And it really was like insistent, like this bell alarm in my brain, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I was like, what am I waking up from? Because like I say in the book, there were so many levels of wrong in my life. I was doing full drag as a woman, full drag. And um, that's why I felt so strange, really. I couldn't pinpoint what, I was like, there's something really wrong in my life. And I'm like, it's all of it. But what that was about, uh, well, the, the, the reason that I brought up Asya's quote, which I thought was incredibly insightful and it, consistent with so a lot of what you say in here, is, you know, I, I have learned in speaking to you and hearing you bravely recount your story and then woman after woman, there are no perfect victims. And this... Are there perfect people? There are no perfect people, but, that, but there's also... There is no... Oh, she is, uh, you know, straight-laced enough, educated enough, uh, you know, stable-seeming enough in whatever traditional way. Um, I would we like to put the men that say all those things and the women that say them on trial. Well, I, I've heard those things a lot, and I understand I where they come from. I understand I that even with good intentions, people trying to insulate stories like this from attack look for those things. But it's very important for reporters to separate out two different things: how someone appears and the credibility of the underlying claims. And it was never a question for me whether Rose's underlying claims checked out, because from square one, the first thing I went was, I found the people you said you told right after, I found the paper trail of the documents you had talked about, and, and that was the relevant thing. The it was most not amazing investigative reporter ever. Not that like, this is like what he's done, is resurrect journalism, credibility, intensity, integrity, a love of language, a love of language that I respect the hell out of, and your mind and your ability to connect these dots and people. I was, and people wrote you off as a lightweight, didn't they? <laughs> didn't they? In some ways, yeah? Uh, absolutely. And people trying to discredit stories like this, um, you know, still will very readily. But... So that, that feeling there, right? But, but that's, the, that's the survivors who spoke, God, those stories right. stand on their own. And you know, oh, yes. none of those kinds of ad hominem attacks you talked about um, could take those stories down. No, but we get so tired of them because you know, if they're doing that to us and we have voices, what are they doing to those that don't? Yeah. And that's who I think of. And that's who I do this for. Yeah. Because I'd rather just be, you know, doing my photography, making music, you know, do I. But this is, I, I, I wanted to leave a blueprint. I wanted to leave a roadmap. I wanted to help people get brave. We talk, talked about this a little bit earlier, this complicated question of when is one ready to come forward, which so many women and men confront every day. Um, in the book, you tell a story about escaping one of your mother's abusive spouses and going back to your father and him saying, well, if you had a problem, you should have written, you should have gone to school and written a letter and reported it. And he told me I should have sent him a letter from my school's mailbox. Now, there, there are people who will read that and say, well, he's got a point. 
you should, re you should report. Those people are stupid. We established that earlier. But, no, but, like, but it's, assess it's, just, the, it's more just the tired thought. It's just like that it's so tired. Well, but assess the, the underlying claim, because I, I know it's something that you've turned over. And I know that every woman who has a story to tell turns that over, and that the reasons they don't come forward are real and compelling. The reasons they don't come forward is because there was never a way to, Ronan. Historically, they don't come forward, and you're putting it on us. Please don't. The culture needed to change, you're saying. I had to get people smarter. Three years ago, I set about going after the power structure. I was very polite. I told them I was coming. Uh, I was like, wake up, sleeping bear. Wake up, wake up. Because I set about three years ago, I looked at the state of the world. Oh my god, and it's gotten so much better uh, since three years ago. Um, and I thought, oh, And a, a lot of things down. collided And I, and about I three worked years ago. hard. Three years ago, I started to, I followed all these reporters all over the world like from Paducah, Kentucky, to the Hindustan Times, right? And what I said about was, because people look at who's verified that's following them, I was following like stringers, you know, like for, you know, not even the editor would follow people, sports writers, that's why this is being covered in the sports section too, by the way, just so you know. I followed everybody so they could look at who's verified, and oh, what's this about? They never retweeted me or said anything like that because I'm scary and weird to them, fine. Uh, but, I train them how I speak, and possibly to reframe things by 10%. And I knew I was getting media, I was grooming them as they groom others. As predators groom others, I thought, well, what if we do grooming for something positive? There was a chain of events, and a lot of those events began to emerge around the time frame you were talking about. The Cosby accusers came forward. Yes. My sister came forward with a, an allegation against a powerful man. Uh, after that, there was the Roger Ailes story and the Bill O'Reilly story, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Now, that climate was very different. We talked about the reaction the Cosby accusers got. It wasn't time yet. What changed? Anger. The permission to have a voice and be like, it changed. It changed also, I think Trump was so, I think it was for uh, liberal men finally being like, oh, this is what that is? Yes, that's what that is. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. One of the most interesting. And it became hard to lie about to themselves. It became so obvious. And it became so blatant. It became such obvious, you know, a crime that it helped reframe. And so three years ago, you know, pre-Trump, but I knew, I could still see, it's like what changed, you know, that's like the whole misnomer with the Time Magazine, the silence breakers, shut up. You just took your damn earplugs out, or rather I kicked them out of your head. You listen, I've always been talking, we have always been talking collectively, women have been talking. Uh, people of color have been saying that we, I was 14 reading about articles of, of black men getting killed by police. And only recently are people societally, oh, black people get killed by police, Brr. Yeah. <laughs> and they were doing it while you were like, like that. And it happens anyway, regardless of whether you know it's there or not. And with being willfully obtuse will no longer fly. You mentioned that Time Magazine cover. And you've been very outspoken in your criticism of the Anybody. Time's Up movement and the kind of mainstream manifestation of this conversation and some of the women in it. I mean, when you look at a cover of but, Ashley Judd and Alyssa Milano and some of these women who you know were in that Time Magazine spread, 
Um, I think it's think? owned by the Koch brothers, and I don't really care. Say it one more time. It's owned by the Koch brothers, Time magazine. And you think that that's editorially linked to the... No, not maybe. I don't know. There's a glaring omission, but I was very happy about it. I think there's something that's protecting me. That was not the question. The question is, how do I feel? Great. Yeah. Good. Fine. That's not it. The thing with Time's Up, it's a great uh, slogan. The, the point of it is great. I agree. Time is up. You're boring. Stop. Um, the problem I have is that it's four CAA agents behind it, okay? Who I have publicly accused of being uh, human traffickers. Because they are. Because I know these people. I'm not making these pronouncements. I'm not from Enid, Oklahoma. I'm being like, you're, you make money off of negotiating how long your right breast can be seen. You sent women to these rooms. The thing is that also people think these hotel rooms, it's like you're opening the door and there's a bed. This is like, as but, big as this entire But I want to break down this, this critique because yeah. there's two separate things here. One is, you know, the money itself and how it's going to be used. Do you think that... Is there a dispersal person? I don't know the answer to that. Do you I think do. that it's being used in the right way or do you... Not my business. Do what you want. But it's not helping, uh, I don't know, I just sent one of uh, Weinstein's victims $1,500 so she could buy her children's shoes. But guess what? That Time's Up fund is going to farm workers. That's fine. Farm workers need help. But how are those people at CAA going to find farm workers? Have they ever thought of that? Do they know a lot of them? Do they hang out, you know, in the middle of California? Well, to be fair, I, I think if they have a legitimate philanthropic enterprise... Congratulations, I, look, I, I would like to clap for supporting farm workers facing abuse, Fuck too. Fuck yes. Hell yes. And I signed a letter for that, but I didn't know signing a Time's Up letter. But, I but got tricked. It is true that if they set up a legitimate philanthropic enterprise, that there could be a structure by which farm workers could bring claims and so this could, could be So could you. Helped. You too. We could all set up things to help farm workers as we should. CAA, please. So that brings me to the other half of this critique, which is you, and by the way, you, And Rose the other is, agencies as well, they're not different. One Rose is not alone in this, right? No. You know, there are other women who spoke out to me who have similar misgivings about this. Uh, it sounds like you think that this is something of a smokescreen or cover for some of these guys on the board. I don't think it sounds like it. I think I said what it was. I think it is. I don't think it sounds like. I don't forget. I live there. I am the curtain. And what would you have them do differently? Should those guys not be doing a, even if it's a cover your ass move, should those guys not be starting a philanthropic movement? No, they shouldn't. They're dirty people, they're bad people, they're bad humans. And they put this stuff in your brain because they orchestrate who's on screen, they orchestrate who's writing it, and they orchestrate who's directing it, they orchestrate who's producing it, and they orchestrate who's putting it in theaters, and they orchestrate what's going on your TV, your lives, your bedrooms. That's who's doing it, these people. And I know them. Okay, I could say one of them pushed me up against the wall and jammed his tongue down my throat. I could have put that in the book, but I didn't. I could also say another time one of them stuck his finger up my skirt in a photo booth and put his finger inside of me, but I didn't. Why aren't you naming those names? Because I'm about broader and bigger things. I'm about a construct. I don't fuck with low-level shit. I'm bored of it. I'm bored of people pulling on my ankles and trying to pull me down to earth when I'm trying to just make everybody rise up. Stop fighting. Stop. Just be better. It's not that complicated. From what I see from my being raised in the wolves sort of situation, 
uh, in an evening gown. That's a metaphor. <laughs> or real. Um, Is there anything you regret leaving out of Brave? Interesting question. I try. <laughs> Kid, you're cute. Hey. I like you. Um, no. I, I really, it was such a fine, uh, there'll be a book someday of adventures or this or that or, you know, a fiction or something. But this book particularly was a high wire act. And, and it was, um, and I love language so much. And I love words, and at times, and I'm sure you felt like this, or anybody who's written, it felt like every word in the world was in my head and weighing me down, and I couldn't get it out. It's horrible writing a book. It's really not fun, especially when you're resurrecting ghosts. But the, it's not Debbie Downer. It really is. Uh, and I'm not trying to sell it. You can buy it or not. I highly recommend it. You might get something out of it. <laughs> but the thing of it is, was just that I knew I had to get out the other side. I had no choice. And I had to bury these bodies, these ghosts that were everywhere around me. But the problem is now is that this, it monster, he won't stop. He won't leave me alone. And I just, or, Oz, or any of us, just like, just, if you can't do something positive for the world, just leave us alone. Please, I've, I've, that's the thing that people get. It's like, I don't really want to be in a public eye. I very much enjoyed not being known. I would go home and then the fake me would be in uh, the papers having a strip off with Christina Aguilera as reported by the New York Post, even though I was 100,000 miles away. But, but I, I want to just pause on that statement of leave us alone. And I want to be very careful about the distinction between you know, what I have reported and, and no, what I have. No, I don't haven't. mean that. I mean leave us alone malevolence. I mean leave us alone with you took a payout. Leave us alone with Ozzy. You went back. Leave us alone with, come on. You mean with, with the narratives that with you societal, all confront? Yeah, it's so like. It's but just do like you, do you your think that he, and again, I just want to be hyper-precise, because yeah. look, not, I, I not, did report things that indicated that there were people coming after you, and that there was a well-funded machine designed to gaslight you. Mm -hmm. Now... And, the, and you. But and everybody. to be clear, since this fall, you know, uh, we're talking about territory that I have not published anything on, so I want to just be precise. You believe that Harvey Weinstein is, in an ongoing way, after you? Yes. In what way? I'm boxing in the dark, aren't I? What Someone makes was just offered $100,000 to tell them what hotel room I was in. New York Post, I believe. Who was paid by him, which Richard Johnson. I can't say they're the ones that did it, but that's who I was told that. And you believe this is emanating from him? Who else cares? Seriously, like, really. Who else is going to stalk me this long? Yeah. Look, I mean, I can't comment on ongoing reporting, but um. it's it's a it's a you know this person had a, a whole thing. The thing with predators is that they have to have illusions all around them of what they are. And this man, who uh, was tied with God for being thanked at the Oscars, 
was a beast, is a beast, and his appetite was for very specific type, but an endless supply of that type. And that type was something with delicate features. That type was something like Asia said. That type was why we weren't respected. Like, it, it wouldn't happen to a Jennifer Lawrence. She would be, for whatever reason, there, was, there were always ones that were protected. And then there were the other ones that were thrown to the wolves. Do you remember that movie, um, LA Confidential? Yeah. You remember when the Kevin Spacey character comes in? <laughs> I'm gay. Uh, Sorry, I count myself. That's my commentary on that. Uh, it, and in LA Confidential, there's a young, beautiful male actor, and he thinks he's going to uh, have a, a tryst with someone, or he is. And Kevin Spacey, his character, trades this, uh, it's like a PR thing. It's like, no, we have to, or Dan DeVito, or somebody, like, we have to protect this uh, more um, box office friendly star. You can't say that this guy's gay and report on that, but we're gonna throw this young one to the wolves. You can do a gay bust here, right? He's just, he's a new actor on the scene. He'll take the hit. I have to, you know, because we live in an outrage culture and everything gets scrutinized, you know, you did the Kevin Spacey I'm gay thing with the hand motions. You've had a few- Oh, sorry. You've had a few scuffles with the LGBT community on comments you've made. I just want to I'm give gay. you the opportunity to- I'm not to... saying I'm gay. I'm mad at Kevin Spacey for saying he's gay when in fact he's apparently a predator. Don't conflate it. That, that is, I think, a common critique in yes. response to the way that- I'm, like, that. the way he did it was like trying to come out like, like it seemed like a jazz hands, like right. stereotype of a, what? It was horrible. I know that all of my gay friends were horrified, and, from, and rightly so, because my work, and I've done this for years, I did, see, what people don't know is that from age 13, it was, I, I fought, I marched, I bled, I donated, I screamed, I cried, I bled and died gay rights, okay? And then I saw it not being paid forward at all. And then I saw What do you that, mean by that? Well, it is the fastest growing civil rights movement in United States history, right? True. Um, I think, because I got really disappointed by the heteronormative part. There's the queer community and then there's the kind of slight, more like heteronormative side, right? As, not all, I'm not generalizing all, but let's say West Hollywood. When I, the scuffle that uh, ensued, the first one, with the LGBTQ community, I, it sounded like I was talking about every gay person. I was speaking very specifically about this certain West Hollywood, California type. You had made some critical comments about the community there. I was mad. Uh, I, yeah, so what? Why do you get a pass for being a gay male that you're not misogynist? You're raised as a male, duh. You actually, you make a comment in the book about the gay men who did your yeah. hair, the, the much discussed and hated hair, and sort of treated you like a Barbie. And they did, and I, and I didn't, and they were lovely, but they were very much part of a machine of like, when I was little, this was what I did to the doll's hair, and so I'm going to do that to you. I have an idea of what sexuality is, especially in America, and what sexy is. They, what was interesting was that they were made scent, and it's almost always, for whatever reason, like a lot of gay male hairdressers, stylists, it's just, is what it is. Today, the sky was gray. Uh, it's, they're paid to turn straight men on, so it's a very strange dynamic in that case, but my, my, my thing is, 
I don't think anybody who was born into having a brass ring before their feet step on earth, if they've had you know, a sonogram and you can see that it's male, um, because you're gay doesn't mean you didn't grow up in a society. So you, you think women, gay men, they are all part of the machine that perpetuates the misogyny or... And women are too. Right. Absolutely, right. all of us, all of us. You are, Rose, still staring down uh, drug charges in Virginia. I spoke to you in the fall, the day that you were going to turn yourself in. Um, you talked about how hard that was. What was that like? It was awesome. Uh, I, uh, it's hard. Certain people that were after me made donations to certain people, and then a certain thing happened to me. You're referring to... I, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't, don't want to, like, please, the original. That's sure. Private. That's not for it. But it is... Everything messed up that's happened to me like the, the book agent that came into my life that introduced me to all the spies that was actually working with Harvey Weinstein in the background and Jay-Z on the Trayvon Martin film, okay? Uh, that was on a plane. Everywhere they've been able this to is, find this me. This is Lacey Lynch. When, I, when I'm on a plane, and Jan Miller of Dupre Miller, who hooked me up with that attorney who turned out to be friends with boys, and it's the whole thing, you know? I mean, it's wild. And it's it worth noting stop. that, you know, I talked to Lacey Lynch and she denied anything of the kind. Fine. But they were the only people with the manuscript. And every time I've been on a plane, which is where uh, the drugs apparently existed, every time, you know, where did, can they find, where do you have to use your own name on a plane? Where do they find everybody? I, so for people who haven't been following sorry. this story, <laughs> and Rose, I have to say, was very open about this going back to a year ago. Um, there was a wallet discovered when you went to the Women's March. At the airport, the wallet was recovered. There was cocaine in it. Um, and Residue, apparently. But I didn't even know what it was for months, what they were after. I didn't actually know if it was real. I had to hire a private investigator to find out if these police were even real, if this warrant was real, because that's the fun house. World. So to be clear, you are saying you did not have those drugs in your possession? To be clear, I'm from California, and I own uh, and invest. I invest in a marijuana company. Your marijuana card was in the wallet, in fact. Fact. So was my Screen Actors Guild card, and in the uh, and I went to the bathroom on that plane, and I was kind of, and I had left my uh, backpack on the seat. Didn't think anything of. I kind of had a weird feeling. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I couldn't connect why. And as I say in Citizen Rose, I had horrible feelings. Don't get on that plane. Don't get on that plane. But I was like, why? I have to be a good feminist and go to the Women's March. And I'm like, don't get on that plane. And I had such bad vibes about it. And I was right. And when I got to baggage claim, I immediately, I was like, oh my God, my wallet's in here. And I started shaking. And I go, this is it. This is the inn. I don't know what it is, but this is the inn they need. I don't know what this is. I didn't know I was going to, I didn't know what was happening. The wallet, which I, which was a, a men's like card, like tiny. So I was like, I don't know what they're saying is in this wallet. What could fit in that wallet? It's for like three credit cards and a Screen Actors Guild card that came in handy. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's horrible. It's fourteen places, uh, counties in Virginia declined to prosecute it because they were like, this is. There's so many problems. How about the fact that after they handcuffed me? 
the airport police officer, uh, he refused to take the handcuffs off me when the magistrate, the judge, said you could. But when she turned around, he took them off so I could sign an autograph for him. I asked him his name, Steve. Hi, Steve. I'll remember you, Steve. Steve, we're going to meet again. But you understand there are obviously people who will say, sure, she didn't have the drugs and be skeptical. What's, what's your response to them? <laughs> don't try I've got, me. I've gotten that look a lot from Rose. Yes. Uh, you know, what's the response to that? I don't know. I would like to talk to them about their life and have some questions and responses for them. I don't know. Why? I don't know what my, I'm not here to defend myself to people. Mm. I don't owe people an explanation for my life. It's not their business. It's mine. Finally, to clear the air on another thing that uh -oh. you may or may not think you need to explain further, but okay. you've gotten a lot of press in recent days for, um, you know, and in recent months, a succession of criticism of some of the other women who have purported to be a part of this movement. Um, Meryl Streep initially, now more recently, you said of Alyssa Milano, your former co-star. Um, I don't like her. She's a lie. Uh, so? Well, uh, maybe is that maybe, not my prerogative? It is completely your prerogative. I'm just asking here and now. I do also you don't like turnips. Statements? No. You you are absolutely entitled not to like Alyssa Milano. I just wondered if there's anything you. I should add. be shiny and nice to People Magazine, who works with Citric PR and Sunshine uh, PR, who does PR for the Monster and Georgina Chapman, and I believe her, and she's married to a CA agent. Okay, no. All right. No. Not backing down. We have it on. Why the would I? I want to get to some of these questions. You guys have all stayed here a long time. It's not hate. It's not anger. It's sadness. Anger, what I want to give women, and especially women, permission to be and have anger because it's justified. And that anger covers pain, OK? We know that, right? So why, if, if you're allowed for at least a week or so in America after someone dies close to you, you're, everyone expects you to go through those stages of grief, right? Anger, pain, and all that stuff. Why would you not go through that when part of you has been killed? And why would you not, if you see your former co-star, who used to have to say, I love you too, posing arm in arm, which you know is for a press photo op to clean up an image of someone I know they didn't know before. You mean because of her friendship with Georgina? That made me vomit. It actually, when I write these things, what people think is that I'm sitting here like, no, I'm hunched over crying. Here's my question. Should that have been a private message to her? I don't know. Should she have private messaged her support to me ever? I take it that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. Correct. <laughs> but happily, go for the press, by all means. So I want to get to a few of these questions. Uh, they're good questions. This is an issue we've touched on, but I think this crystallizes a concern that's prominent in the conversation now. While it is a great thing to bring focus to this issue and tell your story, don't you feel all the men are owed due process before being held guilty by the court of public opinion? I don't know. Do you think all women should be afforded due process? We have the legal systems rigged in your favor. Chill out, OK? That's what I would say. You're going to be OK, big boys. Pull up your panties. It's not about it. It's not, that's not what's going on. It's too micro. It reduces the argument. I think there's a lot of people in jail for a lot of things they didn't do. I highly doubt. It's so, so hard to get a rape conviction. Oh my god, is it hard, OK? That fear 
is, is so, he's kind of like the white guy in Oklahoma who's afraid of terrorists, right? <laughs> and that Obama's still coming for his guns. I would also say, you know, the, the distinction between careful investigative reporting and things that are more fired from the hip um, becomes apparent in the context of that question. What advice what, do you have? Wait, you mean I'm firing from the hip? And no. you're the careful investigative reporter? Well, no, what? you, you no, worked with careful investigative reporters. I did. Um, I really did. Because I. I hope you feel good about that decision. I, I, you know, yes, it, it had to happen this way. It all had to happen this way, Ronan. And I do, I don't want any men to be accused of anything they don't do. But I also know that for every I, me too, this and I did it. So who is that? Who will take responsibility? Because I saw a thing where they, they were interviewing like woman after woman after woman on the street saying, do you know any Me Too? And they're all like, yeah, every single woman was like me, every single woman was me, 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 me. And then they interviewed 100 guys walking by. Nope, I don't know anybody's done it. Nope, not me, nope, nope, never seen it. None of my friends. I'm like, who are these magical raping fairies that come from? Where did they come from? And I would say men, it doesn't matter whether I like you or not. I might love you because I love you as humans, and that's what I want us to be. I really, the book, everything, Rose Army is about raising consciousness. My goal is 10%. Just rewire it. Just the chiropractic adjustment for the mind. We, we were if? living in a reality that was not the reality that women who had dealt with this issue were living in. The cultural conversation did not reflect what was actually happening. We needed a wake-up call. That's called gaslighting. I don't know, since about the dawn of time. And, and I don't, you know, yeah. I don't mean to say, when I say firing from the hip, I don't mean women coming Fire forward. Fire and fury? Well, <laughs> that's, that's a longer and separate <laughs> evening. But uh, when I say firing from the hip, I'm describing um, sloppy reporting rather than women coming forward. There's I think, so much sloppy reporting. I, I think when like women that. come forward individually and they do a blog post or a social media post and tell their story, that's great. The question is, it's then incumbent on reporters to do right by that. And the best way to do justice, I think, to any person coming forward with a difficult story is to interrogate it as thoroughly as possible and you know, lend credence of course. where it's due. Of course, I, um... We have another question, Rose. What's the question? What advice do you have for women who want to tell their story? And men. And men, absolutely. What advice do I have? Oh, gosh. You have to be stronger than you can ever imagine. And I'm so sorry that you have to be, because it's not fair. It's not fair you were hurt. What advice do I have? You know, a lot of times, I've actually kind of, kind of coached is the right word, but I've, I've kind of shepherded a lot of uh, young men coming out to their parents. I do a lot of work, like, through Twitter and, you know, um, like, I find people that, I don't know, something that they say strikes a chord, so I'll follow them back. There are people all over the, the world that I talk to as young men and women uh, that have been hurt, but, or that are come, they were, like, coming out of the closet, and one of the things I would say to them, they were like, I want to tell my family they're not going to understand, they're not going to like it. Uh, like, okay, so you've been rolling this around in your head for a while. 
they've either not known at all or their head's in the sand, so they're gonna react kind of the same way, maybe. One thing is there's a grace period for people that, you know, you have to understand that your voice matters. And you have to understand that, yes, people will react badly. They will shame you. They will lie about you. They will do everything they can, unless you're one of the lucky ones, and I really hope you are. I hope you have a soft place to land. Um, because it's just a bus ride we shouldn't have gone on. We were already on a bus. My bus was better, right? And it's a bummer, but it's important. I get, and I'm sure you do, I get so many messages of, it's a lot. I, it's like, I, I, get to, I don't know what to do. I got a message right before I came on here that a woman is being raped every day by her husband. I don't know what to do. I have to figure it out. Um, well, I have to find are, resources. I have to right. like, refer to things, but it's so hard. And thankfully there are, as flawed as our law enforcement system is, there are cases where absolutely crimes should be reported to the authorities, absolutely. and that can help. But you have to understand the deck is so stacked against women and men or children, even knowing a crime has been committed, unless it's so glaringly obvious. And that becomes hard. Yeah. What I can say is it's a journey. That journey will leave you changed. You know, like Asia Argento said in Citizen Rose, you know, like, it made her hard. She told me but I, I was a little lamb, a and now I have turned into a wolf. She is, but I maintain that you can be the wolf protecting the lamb. Uh, someone says, one, thank you, Rose. Two, how do we make men a part of the solution moving forward? I think, thank you for that, and thank you for that question. Yeah, let's, that's the whole point, is moving forward, right? I have a problem with, I didn't like when I came to America and they told me I was a girl. I didn't know what that was. What? I didn't like. Uh, when I was told I had to wear pink because I was X. I didn't like when I was told that because I was this, this is who I'm supposed to be attracted to. So I started thinking about, like, what if, what if we start thinking about the order of things, right? It's human. Then it's, I guess, gender. Then it's a racial construct. It goes down. But So instead of the man-woman, like men are from Mars, went, whatever that stupid stuff is, like, Everyone's grinding at it, right? Like, wow, trying to figure it out. And I've noticed the English language is so, again, the lack of nuance in the English language is quite startling, and yet this is the universal language we're supposed to communicate to, right? But girls and boys, we learn, because we're separated, a different language. One of the things I think we can do that would be really quite easy is to step back. I think men need to become curious about women in different ways than maybe they've ever thought about. Uh, in ways of like, um, that they can consider them. And I noticed this when I shaved my head, the side effect was all of a sudden, I didn't look like what I was supposed to look like and people were listening to me. I think, glitch the system. Stop going at it from the man-woman thing. If we approach it as, you know, when I, I take photographs of people, I, I've been told like, wow, I don't look like the me that I always look like in photos, but it's me. And I feel my gift has always been, I've been able to see the person behind the person that they have out there. And I see that with men. I see greatness in men. I see so much. I want to ask but this I, question. But I feel bad that they get hurt 
in this society, and by age two, they've been co-opted into what a man is and when they're allowed to feel, and it's not even necessarily your fault. I want to get to this one before we wrap, because this may be a woman who needs advice. Okay. How do you suggest women dealing with sexual harassment in the workplace handle this in a professional manner? Professional manner? <laughs> Is there a way to avoid it, this person adds? Avoid having to deal with it? Or avoid... It's an interesting way to phrase the uh, question, right? Avoid... Like it's incumbent on this individual to stop it? This is where the complicity machine comes in, okay? Because I'm going to guarantee other people that office are aware. You know, it's like, you know, you, I'm sure we've all worked in those places where like, God, if that person was not here, the vibe would be so much better. All right, knock them out. <laughs> Go around the system is my thing. The system didn't work. The system didn't work for me, and it doesn't seem to work for an awful lot of people. And the system is not the laws. The system is ingrained thought. And it's the fact that there's bars all around us that aren't even there. So if you submit that you must be creative, there are creative ways around this. Um, you have to think, you have to plan. And sometimes it takes 20 years. Sometimes you have to fight really hard. And sometimes you play a lot of chess. I like what you said. Three-dimensional chess. Three-dimensional chess. But what kind of punishment do you think is appropriate for sexual predators like Weinstein, says this individual? <laughs> See, that's the thing. I just want him to fall off the planet. It's the others. It's the machine around him. It's Fabrizio Lombardi who took Asia Argento to that room and told her there was a party, and that party was just a rapist. That's what's up. My problem, my thing, those people, what does it look like? I don't know because I don't know from justice. I don't know. Um, I can hope. I, I have never. I hate that handcuffs have been on me and not him. It pains me. And then when they slapped those handcuffs on me, they were cold, heavy. I'd had a plan in my mugshot of looking tough. I was not in my body. When they did that, I, had, I did what I did when I was raped. I floated up above. And that photo was like. It's a hard photo to look at. I'm not there. I'm literally not there. And I knew. That was probably the expression in my eyes when it happened to me. You know? And for that, there must be some kind of justice, must there? Last question. And it's a forward-looking one. Okay, yay. I hope that means optimistic, although it occurs uh, to me not necessarily. We all know the newsworthy cycle of this story will, not re will now really end. Uh, do you think the reality of this issue will actually change? What comes next, Rose? Well, being that I'm a soothsayer, um, I do actually own a crystal ball, believe it or not. It's quite beautiful. Uh, what comes next? You know, this is unfolding in real time. We've never been here. There's no road. so I. I very often feel like I'm just out there with a machete hacking through a jungle that's like 
I'm like, come on. And uh, uh, you know, it's what it is, is that we just have to consider that women have value and that we're actually telling the truth and that just because we're women doesn't discount us from anything, right? Um, at all. I think what happens is that we start recognizing our worth and that men start seeing their humanity and start seeing, you know, and just look at your behavior. Man, you know when you were trying to get that candy from your mom and that money to go to 7-Eleven, right? You were like working it. So you know if you're doing something like that. I had a French journalist today over and over like, but we can't flirt anymore. We can't. I'm like, oh, stop being so. How do I say basic in French? Basic? <laughs> Jesus. Like, really? Like, I feel like I'm not. I, I think it's really just incumbent upon us to study it a little bit differently and just go up above it and look at the system. Look at it. See who it's benefiting. And if it's not you, change it. If it's not your soul, work at it. If it's not your mind, get free. Because you can. You can literally change everything in your mind. Nothing has to even change in your outside life. Things will. But, but by gaining the ability to speak for yourself, knowing that no matter what, if no one believes you, your truth is still yours, and they can never take that away. I think we're in a, a really beautiful place. It's hard. It's not fun. It triggers a lot of things. But we're adults, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, this is the New York Times, my favorite part of the review. It was a good review. My publicist said it was very sellable. And I thought the lady missed the point. At the end, she said, this is a great book for teenage girls. That's a dark read. <laughs> I, don't think, I think it's quite beautiful. It, it's not relentlessly dark, but um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> er, er, early in your teens. Not uh, my fault. No. I didn't do it. That was you life. You didn't choose that. I did not choose this. But the thing is, is you know, sometimes things are, I, I mean, I think, I, I know, I wrote in there, like, sometimes you're earmarked for weird from birth. I think I'm one of those. Near as I can figure, that's what happened to me. There's a, you know, my sister, when I went to get arrested, who grew up in Canada, we're very, she's so gentle, Viola. She's so lovely. And I look at her and I'm like, mm, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she's so lovely, not saying there are not problems, there are rapes, that's not what I mean. But someone asked her, you know, like, where does Rose get that from? She said, she, she literally just went, I don't know. Well, and all I don't I can know say either. I just know there's no other choice. Having gotten to know you through the reporting over the past year, I'm grateful that you have that ferocity. I think there's certainly no denying your contribution to the reporting, but more than that, there's very little denying your contribution to the conversation and how historic what you've done has been. I just want people to have a conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org. <laughs>